0: Hi, I'm Maria Harris or sos and you're listening to So Organised Style Podcast and it's Sober 50 Thursday so grab a cuppa and sit back because today our guest is Julie. So Organised Style Podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. A big sponsor shout-out goes to our two podcast friends and sponsors. The Australian Sewing Guild, who has been our Monday Daily Series regular, is now a sponsor of Sew so Organised Style Podcast. Go to Osso.org to check out the online workshops, sew alongs, skills library and more. Our second sponsor is Tatiana's School of Couture as she launches it online. Go to her website to see her new online sewing classes and patterns. Welcome back to Sew Over 50 Thursday. The Sew Over 50 community has a great array of people from all walks of life. Today you'll hear the sewing story of Julie or consistently different designs. Every Friday, Julie posts the weekly What Am I Working On Today hashtag or Why What. Let's listen in now. Hi, Julie. Thank you for coming on to Sew Over 50 Thursday on Sew Organized Style
1: Podcast. Thank you, Maria. It's just a privilege to be here. I'm just honored to chat with you today.
0: Julie, it's an honor to have you here as well. Every
1: guest that comes on
0: I feel very honored that they're here. So thank you so much for giving us your time for Save so Over 50.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.
0: Julie, can you let our listeners know what your Instagram name is and
1: describe where you live? Oh, sure. So my name is Julie Yost. I live in Minnesota. So I am in the center of the United States, but on the northern center. So we share our northern border with our friends in Canada. Smack dab in the middle but on the high end, where it is just starting to get very cold and very wintry. So I'm getting ready for that. And as I said, my name is Julie Yost, but my handle is consistently different designs.
0: And so why did you choose that as your name, Julie?
1: When my daughter first introduced me to Instagram, I started, you know, looking around a little bit and seeing what other people had and lots of people had sewing in their name, but I don't just do sewing. And I kind of thought, well, I wanted to have something that was a little bit more the variety of what I do because I do sewing, I do quilting, I do dyeing, I do stamping and monoprinting, I do batik And so I was thinking, you know, the one thing that's consistent about what I do is it's, it's all different. I don't know. I have a, a wide and varied artistic draw, I think. And then even if I were to sew something and somebody were to say, hey, I want you to make me something just like that. I don't think I could do it. I couldn't make the same thing. I'm just always different. I would try and tweak it or I wouldn't even have the talent to replicate it a second time. I'm, I'm just different, I guess.
0: However, just listening to how you describe yourself, you consistently make things based on your wide skill set. That's wonderful.
1: Oh, thank you. That's such a positive way to look at it.
0: (laughs) It is. Okay. This is a podcast about sewing, but it's quite evident that many of us have more than one hobby and that we can bring that together. And you obviously do.
1: True. And I actually, I kind of compare myself to Sue Stoney every once in a while because, you know, she does dyeing. She does such a variety. She does knitting. I don't do that. But like I like to do surface design even on the fabrics and hope to get into more of that. So yes, I do realize that there are lots of silver 50 people that have talents wide and varied. I'm in good company, but that's where the name came from.
0: Thank you for telling us about how you developed your Instagram name. So going back to the start of your sewing journey, how did you develop your sewing skills?
1: Oh, Sure. I am so fortunate to have come from a family of sewists. So both of my grandmothers sewed and my mom sewed in the early years, she sewed all the clothes for my sisters and me. And so I was very, very fortunate to be raised by people who enjoyed sewing and did it sometimes because they needed to. And I can remember at the earliest, like one of my earliest sewing memories was staying with my grandmother and I wasn't more than four years old and she was sewing my aunt's wedding dress and the bridesmaids dresses and the bridesmaids dresses were a beautiful pink satin with red velvet capes because it was a winter wedding and so number one it was amazing to be near her as she was doing this magic of making these things but then she took the scraps and made a replica bridesmaids outfit for my Barbie doll and I was just like this is totally magic. I loved sewing you know from seeing it from that perspective but then also you know as I said my mother kept sewing for many many years and I can even remember going to fabric stores with her and we would be shopping and she would be lightly touching all the bolts as we walked by you know touching the fabric And then sometimes she would grab the fabric and kind of like fondle it between her fingers a little bit. And at the time, I didn't even know why. I didn't know why she was doing that. But of course, being the kid, then I started doing that same thing because just following in her footsteps. And the next thing you know, it's like, okay, I love fabric too. So going shopping for fabrics was very fun. So I started at a young age. And then when I was 10, it was determined that I would be allowed to actually use the sewing machine. So it was 10 that I had lessons from both my grandmother and my mom. And so they taught me some of the real sewing machine skills. And it was that year that I entered my first dress into the county fair. And that was, like I said, I was about 10 years old. And from then on, I just kept going. And, you know, looking at pattern books and looking at fabrics and coming up with ideas and, just wanting to make everything. There's also a component of, it wasn't that we didn't have money. Both my parents were school teachers. And so we were just careful with resources, put it that way. And so I was frequently told if I wanted new clothes, I would need to make them myself. So that's what I did. And I could always find some remnant or some scrap or something laying around the house or go to the fabric store with my mom, and yes, we could pick up something, and I would make things for school, you know, things to wear. And then eventually I made my prom dresses, eventually my wedding dress, bridesmaids' dresses, and then things for my sisters. So I guess that's that's kind of how I started, and then it just kept going from there.
0: So, Julie, how did your 10-year-old self feel when you made the garment that you put into the state fair?
1: Oh, well, number one it was only the county fair. Oh, sorry, the county fair, excuse me. You have to win at that level to go to the state. So I was only in the beginner level, but still I was extremely proud. I mean, I can't tell you how fun that was to construct something. And even like looking at it now, I always still consider sewing to be kind of like, like an engineering job. It's like, you're taking something that's two-dimensional and frequently turning it into a three dimensions. You know, what I made was very simple. We did a practice one first, and for the, the county fair, we made this dress, and then we did the real one. And I still remember getting the critique at the fair for what was good and what could be improved upon. And they talked about the weight of the fabric that perhaps since it was a reversible dress, and so there was, you know, two fabrics together, they said, perhaps, if you're going to make it reversible as two layers, it should be a little lighter weight fabric. And it's like, oh, so, you know, some of those things, it's like, that's good information to know. And that's something to think about. So, you know, we all learn as we go, but it also helps to hear things from other people and, you know, get input.
0: That input was actually quite helpful when it comes to building your knowledge about sewing. And that's really a lifelong thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And it was really... I would say my love of sewing that took me to my first job after I got married. After I dropped out of college and married my boyfriend. <laughs> we moved to a different part of the state and I applied for a job as a sewing machine consultant or salesperson. Mm-hmm. And the thing you have to realize is that this was a sales job and I was vehemently against selling. Okay, let me just tell you. I was a girl scout. Selling girl scout cookies, hated it. I hated it. Now granted, that was 50 years ago and I don't think cookies were nearly as popular back then. But you would go to everybody's door and ring the doorbell and, you know, try to sell them the cookies. All right? As I got older, every time there was a fundraiser at school, you had to sell magazine subscriptions. You had to sell gift wrap. I hated it. And I took an aptitude test in high school and in the sales category, yeah. I was like a negative number. It was like, whatever you do, don't go into sales as a career because you're horrible and you hate it. So now here I am actually applying for a job to sell sewing machines. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? Because I have no aptitude for it. But yet I was hoping that my love of sewing could overcome that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so I did get the job, but then I was still slightly worried about how I could be successful, especially when I was so against this concept of forcing a product down somebody's throat. So I really had to change my mental model or you know, change my attitude hmm. to realize that it wasn't so much selling that I should be doing and focusing on dollars, you know, selling more, selling more, selling more. I needed to stop focusing on that criteria and instead look at what I could do to help people. How could I help them, not sell them, but how could I help them get the right sewing machine for their needs? How could I help them pick out the features that they need for their their dream, for what they want to make? So the best thing for me was to actually like demonstrate things and tell them, well, this machine can do this, this machine can do this, or this is how you would use it and hopefully share enough things with them that they could make up their own mind. I could handle it because I was not shoving something down their throat or trying to sell something to somebody who didn't want it. I was actually trying to match them up with the perfect machine for their needs. And then instead of going for dollars or volume or commission, it's like, no, my new criteria for success was how many people can I help? How many people can I make them satisfied? And the funny thing is, if you do the right thing, don't worry about your own commission or your own sales, but instead worry about helping the customer, helping them be satisfied. It's going to turn around and actually help you in the long run. Because if you have customers who are satisfied they'll wanna come back or they'll tell their friends. So it really was one of the most fun jobs, which is surprising to say after I hated sales for so long. But like I said, it turned into more of a helping situation and, and helping them understand how certain features could be used for if they wanted to do all this mending, perhaps they should not be purchasing this new machine. if. Perhaps this used machine that was a heavy-duty, all-metal, you know, heavy-duty thing that can go through the heaviest jeans, that might be the right choice for them, even if I'm selling something that costs less money, but if they're going to be happier in the long run. Anyway, what was kind of funny about that job is that after I started there in September and at the end of November, I was invited to join the management trainee program. Oh, okay that would actually give me some training so that I could in the future apply to be the manager of my own store selling sewing machines. And so I was quite thrilled and of course told my parents because again, I had dropped out of college and they were not really happy about that. So this would kind of prove that, hey, I'm okay. It was the right thing to do. So I was very excited to be joining this management trainee program. And about one week later, I was told that I did not qualify for that program because I was not 24 years old. I had just turned 21 and it's like, okay, that's fine. That didn't work out, but I kept working. And like I said, that was about December. Okay. So I'd been on the job and I was just honored that they had even invited me to join that trainee program because it's for people that they see potential. And and that's great. But then after being denied in December, my supervisor and my manager quit unexpectedly. I came back from Christmas vacation and she is gone. So they asked if I would temporarily manage the store for a couple of weeks until they could get somebody in to replace her. And then a couple weeks later they said, well, can you just keep managing the store until we hire a new person? I said, sure. And then another month later they said, oh, do you mind taking the job? You are... <laughs> Would you like to be the manager of this store? So it was like total success, but I bring this up for a couple reasons. reasons. Yeah. One, it's like, I did not magically get three years older between you know, November and March, basically during that time. I did not age three years. So basically what that tells me is either they didn't really have a rule that said you had to be 24 to be in the management trainee program or they realized that that was a form of discrimination, you know, in 1981, but whatever it is, my point is I have been a firm believer that you are never too young or never too old to do things. And so now as even like a member of sober 50, it's like where we say ageism is never in style. It's like, okay, I've lived that on both ends. When they thought that I was too young, And there have been times that they thought I'm too old. It's like, nope, I'm telling everybody. It's like, you just do your job. You just be you and go for it.
0: that's such a really good way to explain how you just did your job and you stuck with it and you got there.
1: Yes. Thank you, Maria. You're right. Instead of getting bitter about, you know, not being allowed to go forward at first, and working hard, I think they recognize that. So I became the manager in March. So after about what that, it was like six months. So I was managing the sewing machine store myself. And in less than a year, they made me the district trainer, which meant that newly hired managers for the, their own stores had to go through me. So for the tri-state area, I was the district manager and people would spend six weeks in training, they would have to live in a hotel and work with me every day to learn the ins and outs of being a sewing machine store manager. And then they were graduated and went on to their own store. That was very, very fun. I truly enjoyed setting people up for their own careers in in that. And on the job, we would have to do everything from like doing tune-ups and cleaning of sewing machines I had to know how to operate them. I was certainly not a repair person, but I had to know how to do the minimum things. And we still had some contracts with some schools. So in the summer, I would have to go to various schools and do a tune-up and cleaning on all the machines in their home ec room or whatever that's called internationally. The 25 machines that were there for the students and I would give them a good cleaning. And if anything was totally broken, I'd have to bring it in for repair. But I did that. I definitely learned a lot about machines and sewing. Oh, that's, I'm not the greatest sewer. That I do need to say. Whenever someone bought a sewing machine, I, of course, had to give them lessons, but the lessons were on how to use their machine, how to maximize their enjoyment of how do these stitches work. And, you know, it was maybe some basic sewing, but it was more about how to get the potential out of their sewing machine. So I did lessons but I don't ever want to say that I was an expert seamstress by any means but I do know my way around a machine so that's been been very very handy as a matter of fact the knowledge of soy machines and kind of being aware of that there was one interesting incident that happened to me while I was working at the soy machine store
0: yeah
1: a woman called and said my mother's singer soy machine was stolen and I would like to know the value of it so that we can turn that into the insurance company. And of course she was right to call me because I had a blue book. I don't know if blue book is something that everybody knows, but it's, it's basically a catalog of the value of every sewing machine ever made. I mean, just like in an automobile trade-in, yeah. you know, they have a blue book for cars. So anyway, this book told me what the trade-in value was for the machine. So she gave me the model and it was a 221 featherweight sewing machine. So I was able to tell her what the value was. And so, and I was very sorry for her mother's loss of that machine because it's a beauty. You know, you love those little Singer featherweights. So anyway, I thought that was done. But a day and a half later, I get a call from a gentleman who said that he was helping his grandmother move into a nursing home And he was helping her by selling her sewing machine. He had a sewing machine to sell. And would I be interested in buying it? And of course we did not buy machines outright. We only took them in trade. But then I asked him what kind of machine it was. And he looked at it and he said, well, it's very, very small. It comes in its own little black box. And um, I said, can you look for a model number? And he said, I think it says 221. And I'm like, Okay, this is too much of a coincidence. And so I said, Well, you know, let me talk to someone to see if I can perhaps help you and take that off your hands. And why don't you call me back later this afternoon. So in the meantime, I called the woman back, who had called me and I asked her if she had recovered the machine I asked if, you know, they had found it or if anything had changed. He goes, nope, nope, it's it's lost. We're just waiting for insurance and that kind of thing. And I said, well, if you know the serial number, please let me know, but I'm just gonna check on something for you. And then I hung up and called the police and I told the police what had happened. And they said, you know what? You could be actually right about this gentleman being a thief. They said, would you mind inviting him into your store Mm. While we wait in the back room, and you can figure out if he's trying to sell you stolen goods, and then we'll arrest him. So I had to then when he called back, I said, please come in tomorrow at such and such time. And then I coordinated with the police. And it actually was their machine. He had been a thief. He had stolen it and was trying to sell it to me to make money. So... That's so brave of you. Well, it was a little bit scary, a little bit nerve wracking because then the police were waiting in the back room when he actually, so I had to offer him this certain amount of money. And when he said yes, then I had to pretend to make a phone call and call the police in the back room. And then they came out. They were able to confirm that that was the woman's stolen machine. So I was just very pleased to get it back to its rightful owner.
0: You were so brave to do that, but very smart to do it following those steps.
1: Yes. Yes. I was, you know, not in harm's way. We weren't meeting in a back alley, you know, he just came in, but you know, still you all are, you are always a little bit concerned when you're inviting a criminal in.
0: (laughs) My goodness,
1: Julie, you should get a braveness award. You would in the sewing community. Well, like I said, it was all for the good of, I knew how important a 221 featherweight sewing machine would be to its owner. So it's like, I need to help this person. That was my story.
0: Oh, that's such a heartwarming story. You're so brave. Sorry. <laughs> thank, thank you for sharing that story.
1: <laughs> Maria.
0: Oh, So Over 50, what has that community given you?
1: Oh, my goodness. I just can't tell you how much I love Silver 50. And when you say, what has it given me? I knew nothing about Instagram when my daughter set me up April of last year. All right, so the third post that I ever did was a flat lay because I started you know, looking around and following and okay, Sober 50, it's like, okay, I think even my daughter said, hey, here's a group you should join. I had just recently retired and I think she was encouraging me to join Instagram because I think she maybe thought that I'd be lonely or something. So, you know, here trying to kind of find a group and so following Sober 50 and the third post that I ever did was a flat lay. They were having their annual... Flat lay challenge. Yeah. I did that. And what do you suppose? Someone from Sober50 did a message to me or a comment that said, you know, you have to spell our name right in the hashtag <laughs> if you want to do this. And I was like, oh my goodness, a real person. There is a real person out there <laughs> that commented to me that actually noticed what I did and got back to me to help me out. Okay, that's just one teeny tiny example of how I can hardly understand. And now of course I know, you know, Sandy and Judith are doing this, but how they can zero in on every individual and make you feel like you are so important to them. You know, they have time to explain something to you. They have time to comment on all your things. I mean, that's fine if there's like just me or just a couple hundred, but there are over 24,000 members of Sewer 50. How do they do it? How do they have the patience and the warmth? Because you know they are so approachable and they're so nice. So the thing is they have, it's not just the sewing portion of it and them supporting the sewing community. It's also the technical support too because there have been numerous times I've had to look at their posts on their hints and tips on how to do Instagram. I would be nowhere. I mean, this conversation wouldn't even be happening if it wasn't for them teaching me how to actually do a story. I mean, it took me a year before I even knew what a story was, you know? So it's just amazing. I feel like my hand is being held virtually in so many ways. Sewing, yes, I mean, helpful hints and ideas and tips, but technology too. And I was also gonna say about Sewer 50 that they are such a warm and welcoming, supportive community for all the sewists, but they also focus on the community around us. Like you probably know the challenge for November was to support small businesses okay, they're concerned about the communities in which we live, about small businesses, about the people that we interact with when we buy our fabrics or our buttons or our notions or whatever. So it's just amazing to me that the leaders of Silver 50 are so thoughtful and engaged in things. And then the 24,000 members, I mean, of the people that I've met, I can't tell you how i developed friendships already. So friendships with people around the world that how would I have ever met these people except for Sober 50? I mean, I have some best friends now who are in Germany and Sweden and Australia and Canada. It's just been a fun, fun, fun ride.
0: And you're right. There is a lot of warmth around what we receive from the Sober 50 community. And that warmth is to us personally but also to our communities and how we interact so it's been such a really good account to be a part of and to even if you're not a follower i know that there are people who follow the hashtag as well because they're not quite certain yet but i'm hoping that through these podcasts that they people who are not quite sure about joining so you know following sober 50 take that step and actually do it because you're right it's not just about sewing but it's also about the technology around being connected
1: exactly exactly and I would also throw in there the inspiration that I get from other people being able to follow the hashtag and see what others are doing and then you know the so 50 tips and the the things that people share on there it's just like I would never have access to that or I wouldn't even know about it if it wasn't for you know that group so It's just so fun, so fun to be a member. I just feel very supported. Um, And so, and I try to do likewise now. One of the things that I started recently was the WayWAT hashtag. And I don't even know if that's how we would pronounce it, but it's the W-A-I-W-O-T, which stands for what am I working on today? Yes. So the hashtag to encourage people to post something that they're working on, that it doesn't have to be a finished garment. I mean, obviously, I love seeing the outfits. I love seeing the clothes and the finished things are wonderful. But there are some people that maybe don't want to have themselves in a picture. So posting a work in progress is one way of doing it. Maybe you are a slower sewer. And if you just wait until you finish your garment, you might only post something once a month. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing, you know, what am I working on today? You can share all sorts of steps along the way, you know, and and how you're sewing your seams or how you're finishing your seams or how you're putting in your zipper or, you know, the things that you've learned. And there've been some funny things where people have shared some of their mistakes, you know, and some of their errors. And it's like, okay, This is great because I think we learn more from errors, but none of us are going to probably so long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves to learn from. So we have to learn from each other and each other's mistakes. So it's it's so fun when somebody shares, you know, a a lesson learned on there or, you know, tips and tricks. and, And here's what I'm doing, or even just to see what other people are working on. You know, it's been really kind of fun that way. So every Friday, we have a weekly way what roundup, where I try to highlight about 20 to 25 of the people who have used the hashtag, and just kind of share what they've been working on. So just kind of a fun way to, to kind of shine the spotlight on some other people for a change.
0: Oh, that's a really good way of sharing the joy of sewing.
1: It's been fun. It's just, I think it's just so fun to see what people are working on. And I know that I have connected with some of the people that I've seen and then also had some other people join connections when they were looking at their post in my story next to somebody else's post in my story and realizing that they had some connections. It's like, oh, I like this person. I want to follow them. Or I think one time it got, it's way more than following. I think they already are a friendship because they both do sewing for others. And oh, it's, Yeah, just like the whole community, it's just another way of finding connections and sharing a love of all things fabric and sewing.
0: If there are people listening and they're not quite sure about joining Sober 50, what advice would you give them?
1: Oh, well, number one, doesn't cost anything. Why not? Number two, it is such a supportive group, a group that gives encouragement And it's amazing what that has done for my confidence in sewing. I mean, it's, you know, some of these things that I'm like, oh, you know, I, I don't know if I can do this, or I don't know if I like it. And, and then hearing somebody say, no, that could work, or this looks good. Or maybe if you tweak this and it's like, oh, brilliant idea. So it's just kind of that combination of encouragement, support. It's not even criticism, it's more of, of when you ask for something, which I have done on Sewer 50 and people are ready and willing to share their, their own experiences or their own ideas or their own tips and tricks. It's like, there is a wealth of sewing information and knowledge out there. I mean, it is this deep. I wish you could see my hands going. Compared it's like to so much information you know, out there and that people are freely sharing it, that's the part that blows my mind. I mean, other places you'd have to pay money for lessons or for a class or a tutorial or something. And I feel like I get a lot of that just from the the comments and communications and things from, from people in the So Over 50 group. They just, like I said, there's just a wealth of information and these people are so generous with their, their sharing of knowledge that it just, it just blows me away, especially when they are people that are truly talented in sewing. Like I said, I know sewing machines and I have sewn, like I said, for, you know, 50 years now, but I, I am not necessarily talented at sewing. I just kind of like bull in a china shop and just go for it. <laughs> So that's why it's amazing to learn some of the true tips and techniques and some of the finer points of sewing. And I feel like I've gathered that from some of the folks that are in Sew Over 50.
0: Julie, thank you so much for sharing your love of sewing with us. And honestly, like I said earlier, you should get the bravery reward for getting that singer featherweight back to its owner without coming to any harm for yourself.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you, Maria. That is so funny. But yeah, for the good of sewing, it was just the right thing to do. But I so appreciate being here, visiting with you today and being asked to to join you. This was just a treat. I, I feel like I am... You have had so many wonderful guests. It's just a thrill to... Have been included and I, I just can't tell you what a privilege and an honor it is to meet with you today.
0: Oh, thank you, Julie. And look, thank you so much for contributing to Cyber50, so for coming onto the podcast, and I really hope that listeners will see Juliet consistently different design and share your what am I working on today?
1: That's right. Yes, and I don't know if it's pronounced Waywat or what, but I think it's more I think it's like Waywat. I think it's hashtag waywat, but
0: it's a- Hashtag way what? Let's leave it at that. (laughs)
1: I'll do that.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Julie. Oh, thank you, Maria. It's been a pleasure. And have a lovely day, listeners. This episode of Soul Organized Style Podcast for Soul Over 50 was produced by me, Maria Harris, with permission of Julie, soundbybensound.com. You can subscribe to Soul Organized Style Podcast, spelled with an S not a Z, on apple spotify amazon music google and from all good podcast distributors post any questions or podcast suggestions you have on our instagram account or on our facebook page we look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time stay safe everyone